Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 71 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. My guest today is a a little bit of a superstar. Please welcome Carl Gould to the show. Carl, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate being on and getting a chance to uh, hang out a little bit and and talk uh, business with you. Well, I'm really excited to talk business with you. Guys, Carl is a worldwide leading authority on business and entrepreneurship. Right? His company is Seven Stage Advisors. They help organizations grow to the next level. But lest you think he's just another one of, okay? He's I'm just not another pretty face is what no. you're trying to say. No, he's not another pretty face. <laughs> uh, he's built three multi-million dollar businesses by the age of 40. 40, sorry. Um, I'm just a little starstruck here, guys. And <laughs> Seven Stage Advisors has mentored the launch of over 5,000 businesses. He's advised over 100 of the Inc. 500 5,000 fastest growing companies. Some of the companies he's helped are the likes of Walmart, Walgreens, American Idol, U.S. Olympic Track, IBM, McGraw Hill, U.S. Army, you know, just some of those. No, no biggie. Um, he's created the farthest reaching business mentoring organization in the world. Methodologies are practiced in 35 countries. So again, he's got a bio to kill. Um, but here's some of the most fun stuff that, that gets me. Um, he's written multiple books, including co-authoring The Blueprint for Success with Stephen R. Covey, of whom I'm an insane fan because The Seven Habits completely changed my life, and Ken Blanchard, of whom I'm also an insane fan, all his little tiny books. Um, and his best-selling book, The Seven Stages of Small Business Success, lays out the formula for hyper-growth. Oh my gosh, this is, this is a really, really well-written bio. I just want everyone listening to know that like, when you get to this level, like your bio does kind of write itself, but like, super, super cool. And each week, he co-hosts the Quit and Get Rich radio show on iHeartRadio, where he shares his insights from working with the top companies around the world. So yeah, you know, just that. Carl, we're, we're very excited to have you here today. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very, very nice. I, it's, I appreciate it. And, um, you know, I, I, I love what I do. So to hear it all being read back that way, you know, just I, I, got, I got into this to help people. And, and I'm hoping that that's the case. And so, but again, thanks so much for letting me come on your show and, and kick things around for a little while. Amazing. So I want to I wanna hear your story and your journey, but if I can poke in in the middle for a second, how sure. did you get to co-author a book with Covey and Blanchard? Because that's just like, wow. Yeah, I know. Well, I was um, in 2007, I was getting, I, well, let, I'll take you a little further back. 1991, I decide I want to do coaching, right? And I did it part-time. I already owned a, I had a landscaping company, which I was about to sell. I had then had a construction company, um, but I was doing coaching as a part-time passion. It was my side hustle. And um, I wrote, because there were not a lot of methodologies or um, procedures or best practices in coaching, I started documenting everything that I was doing. And, um, and so what I didn't realize I was doing was I was creating a coaching methodology, which I would later publish in the 2000s. So I had this thing called the Milestones Methodology. That's what it was called. And... Um, and so uh, fast forward to 2005, um, I was getting ready to turn this into a book. It was a manual, a training manual till then, but I was getting ready to put it in, in a book. And the same publisher that I was working with was working on, this, on the book project with Ken Blanchard and Stephen Covey. And they wanted, and it was called Blueprint for Success. And I have a growth graph and it looks like a blueprint. And so they said, you know, that Covey and Blanchard had seen it and, and thought it would be a good addition to their book project. And they're like, well, would you be interested in contributing to the book project with Ken Blanchard and Stephen Covey? Duh, of course I would. <laughs> Let me think yeah. about that. I'll get back to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> it'll take me 10 or 11 seconds max. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it's absolutely. I was, I was so flattered to be part of it. And, and it was great. To, it was great. Um, I, I wanted to do more speaking. And it doesn't hurt when you can say you've co-authored a book with those two. They're both iconic figures. And, and uh, so, yeah, it was just that, that it came to pass through the publisher, actually. Because we were amazing. actually working on our book projects at the same time. 
I love that. And again, yeah. obviously like the skill and the information is significant, but it's a little bit like right place, right time. That, that was totally, together. yeah, yeah. I'd love to say that I was stalking them or somehow <laughs> put together some wonderful plan so I was positioned, but it just, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it really plays to the cliche of you, you make your own luck because I was there working my ass off on my own book. They were working their butt off on their book and it just so happened we were doing it through the same publisher. I love that. So, that so there was some cool. timing there, but it was because we were working hard on it. Okay, so you've been coached. So we're going back, like way back. We we won't say how what I was doing in 1991. Um, you, <laughs> sounds like you've been in this for a while. Um, what got you? So it sounds like you were running businesses already on your own. What got you from that into coaching, or really, what got you into business to begin with? Like, let's 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 go back. Like, what is this journey like? Because now you know you're sitting at you know the top of the totem pole. What yeah. what did the beginning look like? Well, it was. Uh, uh, you know, uh, so a lot of times I look back at my life and I and I think there were times that were difficult or challenging times and they turned out to be some of the biggest favors that were ever done for me. Um, I was going to school at the University of Delaware. I was taking accounting and finance um, at the time. And um, in the three days before the uh, the holiday break, sorry, it was two days before the holiday break, three days before Christmas, I broke my leg pretty badly. And um, I, um, I had to, as I learned when I got home, I was going to leave school at that point. The injury was so bad. I was laid up for three months in a full length cast. I was going to take three more months to start using my leg again. So I was out of school. And since I was paying my own way, um, all of the grants and scholarships, um, you know, they're good as long as you're in school. I wasn't in school. And, um, and all the loans that I had taken out in order to pay my own way, well, once you're gone for six months, they want you, they want to be paid back. And so there I was at home and I'm like, I got to make money. And the only thing I knew how to do consistently to make enough money to support myself was uh, to, to do landscaping because I had done that in high school. Knew it pretty well and, you know, I was giving proposals and running crews. So I was almost, you know, a manager at that point. So I said, Wait, you know, I'm going to... How did, in high school, how were you a manager? Like, where... Yeah. I, like, well, I like how you say, like, well, whatever. Like, in high school, so I was already doing that as a manager. So I'm like, I'll just keep doing well, it. And I, I was, just take that for granted, but I don't. How'd you do that? Gotcha, gotcha. So I didn't... I would not have called myself a manager at the time. But what happened was, one day, my boss comes up to me and says, I'm busy. I need you to go down to that building over there um, and give Mr. and Mrs. Smith a proposal here's all the stuff they get, here's what they're supposed to pay, and you're, at the end, tell them if they're interested, you need a 50% deposit. I said, okay, I was 16 years old, I, the guy trusted me enough to do it, so I go down to Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I go, I talk to them about the, the project, they give me a 50% deposit, I go back, I walk, I was right down the street, walk back down the street, and the owner says to me, so how'd it go? I'm like, well, I think pretty good. And he said, well, why do you think pretty good? I said, well, they signed the proposal and they gave me a 50% deposit. And um, the guy said, well, what part of the project will they be doing? I said, well, what did he mean? He said, well, what part? There was like three phases to that. I said, oh, they're doing all of it. He's like, all of it? <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, you told me to, to tell them what they're gonna be doing and get a 50% deposit check. So I did. <laughs> I told them they were doing all this and I just explained it as if it was all going to happen. And they gave me a deposit check. And the guy was like, you're kidding. <laughs> I love it. So he, the rest of the summer, he sent me on what seemed like every proposal he was giving. And I was winning a lot of them. So nice. he, cause I didn't know, he didn't explain to me that there was some, there's a certain amount that the customer wanted. There's a certain amount he was suggesting. And there was a like, the dream scenario. I didn't know any better. I just assumed you're doing it all. And then, and when these people would ask me, they would say, well, what do you think? And I'm like, well, why would you not do this if you're doing all of that? And they were like, yeah, good point. You know, I said, it of course you double the amount to do it later. And I would say, I don't care what you do. I'm just the schlep that's digging yeah. trenches. And, <laughs> I'm just the kid here to hand you the papers. <laughs> exactly. But I, it was, was genius. He probably saw me as like the Girl Scout girl selling Girl Scout cookies totally. when they walk up and they say, what do you want? The dosey -si dos or the Thin Mints? And you're like, all right, two of them, one of oh, those. Exactly. <laughs> so I was a ringer. That's amazing. So you started as just, it was like a teenage summer job doing landscaping. You were just, yeah. and you were going to be like the, the actual, like, 
digging, planting guy originally. Yeah, that's all I was doing. And you know, it's funny, and I, I got a chance to revisit this in my uh, kind of my memory bank recently because my friend's father passed away recently. And, um, and you know, on Facebook, they were talking about what uh, they remembered about him. And I said, I, I sent a note to my friend and I said, your dad's the reason why I'm an entrepreneur. And they're like, really? I said, yeah, because one day I was over their house and my friend and I worked at this landscaping company. And this was before we went to college. And there was a guy there that was 32 years old and he was the project manager. And me and my friend Rob were saying, oh, 32, that's old. And you would never catch me dead doing landscaping at 32 years old. And I'll never forget to this day, his dad walks in the room because he'd heard us talking and he, he looked at me and goes, you wouldn't feel that way if you owned the company. And oh. I remember like, huh, never, you're right about that. Moment. Right. So, so, so put that in your file cabinet. I go to college and I uh, break my leg and I'm, I'm at home. I have plenty of time to think because I'm sitting at home. I'm on the couch, you know, trying to figure out my future. And then that started going through my head. You know, you wouldn't be thinking that way if you were the owner. You wouldn't be thinking that way if you were the owner. I'm like, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? You know, I got a little part-time job pumping gas. Yes. If all the reasons you were thinking of moving back to New Jersey, one of them is they still pump the gas for you. <laughs> yes, right? they do. Diners was number one, but you're on your way back to Jersey because they pumped the gas for you. That's why you're really <laughs> thinking about it. It's, the, it's, it's really the only thing they've got going for them. <laughs> it's, it's, you know... <laughs> But it's a big thing. You gotta, you gotta admit. And um, and, and so I, um, you know, I had got had a job pumping gas for a little bit, and I, I was like, you know, I'm making like, I think I was making under four dollars an hour. That was minimum wage at the time. And um, and I said, and I remember making a lot of money landscaping, and I was thinking, if I was making a lot of money, he sure as heck was. And I was the guy doing the proposals, and every time we won a proposal, he would say to me, Hey, good job, Carl. You and those three guys go do the job. And I would be like, wait a minute, I'm doing all the proposals, running the job, and I'm getting paid by the hour, and this guy's making all the money, and I know how much money he's making because I'm collecting the checks. That's right. You're, you're, you're running uh, the whole thing on the back end. Okay. Yeah, so I said, you know, why not give it a try? And so that whole fall, I, you know, I put my name out there, called around. I said, I'm starting this landscape company, blah, 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 the whole bit. And I got uh, enough jobs to make it interesting, you know? Like, I did a few jobs, and I'm like, hmm, I worked for a few days. I have $10,000. I've never seen $10,000 in my life. This is pretty cool. And so I won my first few jobs. And um, after paying everything out, I had some money in my pocket. I'm like, this ain't so bad. So the next year, I decided to do it, you know, full on as a full on business. And I said, this is my number one priority. And then I, I, I enrolled at school at night um, to finish uh, to, to continue studying business management. And I also took horticulture because I was now a design build landscape firm. Very cool. So that that's was my it. first real business. I like that. Yeah. Now. Yeah. That's how I, I got love started. people's origin stories. And I think what strikes me the most is that that first defining moment, you know, which it sounds like is that that's that seed that, that sprouted everything, you know, cause it, it went in there and it germinated and it just kept spreading. Cause it's like, wouldn't be bothered if you owned the company. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And so yeah. then it sounds like from there you did construction cause you're, you're doing landscaping, people are building, you're like, well, we can build it too, why not? Yeah, so I, I, um, I, I grew that company and um, I sold the company in the er, mid-90s. And, um, and then I started a, constr a construction company. I was a residential home builder. I did commercial renovation. I had a log home dealership. What um, is that? Uh, so I built log homes. So like, log, solid, oh, like, like log cabins, like log cabins. Okay. Yeah. But they're, you know, the, the day of the old cabin in the woods, I mean, they're in the woods, but these are these gorgeous upscale yeah. homes. Totally. Yeah. And, um, and I also had a modular home dealership where I was building. Uh, so I built what they call stick frame. So just piece by piece, you know, regular framed homes that you'll see um, a modular home, which is built in the factory and then they deliver it and you bolt it together and you, and you do all the finishings. And then I was also building custom log homes as well. And, um, and so I was doing some real estate development and I had that business from 92 through 2004. I feel like I want, I want to understand that, but I'm not going to because there's so much more we have to talk about, but there's a lot in there that takes you from landscaping 
to real estate development logos <laughs> and modular frame. But I'm, yeah. I'm going to shelve that for a second because something tells me there's even more interesting stuff that we can spend our time yeah, on. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So you're starting the coaching while you have these other businesses. No one was coaching in the 90s. Like it was, not unless it was a sports team, right? It's not like today where everyone- That is so true. And it That's what people used to say to me. I would like, I'm, I'm a professional coach. Like, wow, exciting. What team? What's, exactly. Like, what team? That's what they used to say to me. And yeah. you're like, your team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm kind of like a personal trainer for your goals. I take your business to the gym. And they're like, what? You know, like, it's such just a weird thing. Now, I know when I land. started, I started doing small business consulting about 10 years ago, and it was like unheard of. People were like, why? Right. Like, if you run a small business, you either have it or you don't. Well, why would I need a coach or consultant? Why would I need help? If I need help, then I shouldn't be doing it. And now it's like, oh, yeah, of course, just what makes you different than the other guy. But then I, I, I totally get that. So, why? 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 Why would you want to be a coach? Well, yeah, I so I, I um, started out, I went to a few personal development seminars in the early 90s, really liked it, really so enjoyed like Tony the- Tony Robbins, who else was there? Yeah, so yeah, it was Tony, I went to the Unleash the Power Within seminar right, that's pretty much for Tony the Robbins. guy who was on the, on the stage yeah. in those days. Well, yeah, it's funny, my, um, uh, somebody I knew won the lottery, and um, they were looking for personal development. I did some research and I said, well, there's this Tony Robbins guy out there that looks like he's doing something. Why don't you go check it out? She did. She liked it. She recommended it to me. She's like, you're going to love this. You ought to go. So I did. And I really did enjoy it. Um, and so I got more involved in his programs. I also started getting certifications in NLP, Neuro Linguistics Programming. Yeah, I, I do DISC. a lot of stuff too. Yeah, so disc assessments and all that. The same way. I've never done it. A bunch of my clients do it. And then I look at it and I review it with them because they like want my insight. And it's always like half right, half wrong. I'm like, right. why? You know, to me, that's just a scam. If it's half right, half wrong, then you just guess the whole thing. Right. Yeah. It's, so you're a weatherman. <laughs> yeah, so it might rain. It might not. Exactly. Bring your umbrella exactly. and bring a jacket. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's what this feels like to me, but I've, I've never gone deep into it. Okay. So you're getting yeah. all these certifications. Um, so, and I'm enjoying it. So my path in coaching was, I said, I want to do coaching, but here's the reality is in the beginning, the coaching world was just coaches coaching other coaches. It was very little of the outside world engaging a coach. Yeah, it's a, it was 90%. The coaching industry started out as another form of personal development. And I've since trained over 7,000 coaches in 35 countries. And I could tell wow. you that somebody goes into coaching in the beginning, almost always to heal thyself oh, before sure. they heal others, right? For and, sure. and, and that's what like it was that. like. I think it's still 90% yeah. coaches training coaches because only 10% ever get out there and actually make money doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And and um, the uh, so it was exciting because it was, Coaching became structured personal development. I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed helping others. And and so I, but but I had these two businesses. They were both very successful. I'm running them. I wasn't. It wasn't my passion, but it paid the bills. And I married. I've got kids on the way. I, you know, living in Jersey, you're not making money as a coach, getting paid twenty bucks a session. You know what I mean? Yeah, p pitching it at the gas stations while the guys are getting their kinks filled up. It's not going. Yeah, not happening. <laughs> not happening. So I was doing it. So what I did was I got certified in virtually every method you can. So I became a Tony Robbins coach. I got certified in situational leadership by Ken Blanchard, uh, Franklin Covey, uh, Dale Carnegie leadership. And I was the coach for the gurus when, um, when their clients said, you know, I'd like to get coached under your model. I was one of the guys they sent you to. And got so it. I, I did oh gosh, thousands of hours of coaching in the 90s, um, you know, just honing my skill, honing right. my craft and, and becoming the go-to certified practitioner for these different sciences of peak performance and personal development, professional development, business, DISC. So one of my that's colleagues- That's amazing because you had the funds. Yeah. Like a lot of people can't do that. It's because you had the successful businesses because all those programs are super expensive before you yeah. get to the place. And even when they pay you, if I'm correct in my understanding, it's not that much. It's not that much. It's still not that much. Unfortunately, nope. most coaches don't earn all that much. Um, and most coaches get into it because they're trying to help others and they can't protect themselves from themselves, you know, to make it a worthwhile thing. So I, so I got started in the coaching and I said, 
at some point, I, I hired, in 1996, I hired a, a business mentor for my business. And I just loved, I loved it. Loved the process, loved the strategy. And so here I am, I've now been coaching a life coach, results coach, executive coach for five years. Now I hired a business coach and the path became very clear to me. I'm like, wait a minute. I've been an entrepreneur now for a while. I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years and I'm only, I'm only 26 years old. You know, I've got, I've got plenty, I got plenty of runway in front of me. I'm only, sorry, 30 years old. And, uh, but I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. I have as much hours in as a coach as anybody. And I mean anybody. And, um, so I go through the process where I position my last business to sell and I sold it. And I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. Uh, but I got to figure out how this can be a full-time business, just like a financial advisor or an accountant or an attorney, you know, this is another professional service. How do I do it? And so I, I went back to what I was writing in the nineties and I said, you know what, what if I had a methodology, I learned everyone else's methodology, but what if I had one? What if I was the guru of the, and the author of the methodology and I, I just started charging what I really felt it was worth, which was $300 an hour and above. And so I did and that. in the 90s, that was a big deal. Like no yeah. one was doing no it. Like people hear that. that now and they're like, ah. But guys, I want you to remember like when this was. This was not being done. And no one was paying that kind of price for it. Right. And yeah, there weren't even a lot of, there weren't even a lot of men in coaching at the time. It was mostly, uh, it was mostly women coaches. It was life coaching mostly. And, and the industry hadn't splintered where it was life and business. And then if you're in business, are you executive, big business, small business, you know, mid-market on the life side, were you, you know, health relationships, you know, um, fitness, you know what I mean? Like it hadn't splintered and matured yet. So the majority of the coaches were, uh, woman co were women, female coaches, they were, um, life, uh, uh, coaching focused and business coaching hadn't really hadn't really taken off what um, we have. We actually have the corporate world to thank because they were the first ones to research and analyze the return on investment for executive coaching. And McKinsey did a study um, and which was a big one. That was, that was, that was groundbreaking because it showed that you get almost $9 for every dollar invested in coaching. That's uh, $9. Of, that would be a good study for McKinsey to do, you know? kind yeah. of tooting their horn. <laughs> right. And, but the beauty of it was, is the coaching was for managers. It wasn't for, you know, the lowest level employee that anything you could do would improve. These are people that have done years and years of continuing education. They've done product training. These were their top people and they still got $9 for every dollar invested in coaching. That's and that pretty kind cool. Of, yeah. And that validated it as a science. And that was a big moment because now there was proof and then it trickled down and everybody used that study. I think it was $8.88 of, of um, uh, upside for every dollar invested in executive coaching. That's, that's and, pretty cool. How old is yeah. this? I've never even heard of this. I'm totally going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> Check out the McKinsey study. And then not long after that, uh, Michael Gerber and the E-Myth Worldwide did a study mm -hmm. and they found that it was 804%. So they're similar. One yeah. was 888 percent. One was 804, um, which meant for you know. So again, it was and Michael Gerber's E Myth Mastery book, sorry E Myth Revisited book, was the hot book at the time. And so his uh, between the two studies, you know, it really validated coaching and and people stopped thinking of it as a remedial um, exercise. Like, oh, you got to coach because you you know, you screwed up or you're not ready for prime time and we're going to coach you up or we're going to coach you out sort of thing. And it started to be thinking of as a tool of mastery, not a punishment. Totally you know? love it. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. So what was, so what was the, the strategic path, right? Cause very different to sell landscaping or construction services to building a personal brand, selling yourself, um, especially at a time when, you know, like I said in the beginning, like I, experience something similar where everyone's like, I don't get why I need you. <laughs> I don't get yeah. why I would want to do this. I don't really get what you do or what you, you can right. do. Um, what, it, what did you do to get out there? Was it again, just direct sales? 
was there positioning elements? Like the book didn't come till later. So what, what did you do to get that going? And I'm curious if anybody could even replicate that today because the times are so different. Yeah, I think, well, in some ways, I think it might be easier to replicate now what I did because there's just more out there you can be, you can latch onto. Um, what I did in 2002 was I became certified in an organization called the Institute for Independent Business. And it was, it was a London-based organization that trained business mentors and generalist business advisors. And so now I felt, at least, for whether I was right or wrong, that I now had some business certification credibility to go along with all of my other NLP, DISC, coaching, you name it, right? So now I'm armed. I'm at this point now, I'm a 16-year entrepreneur. I had more coaching hours than just about anyone you could find. and that, But now I had a business certification that was pretty wild, wide, widely known. And what, what really kickstarted me was I, um, I come back to the United States and we were taught this script by the IIB. And that's what its nickname was, was The Script. And they had not modified it for the US market. And their product was something called the Business Support Scheme. Oh, is no. What it was called. <laughs> right, right. That's what we said. There were a handful of us in the class and they said, you're going to go out and sell the Business Support Scheme. And we're like, what? That sounds awful. Did you, hear, did you hear scheme? I thought I heard scheme. They said scheme, didn't they? They really said scheme. So it, they later changed it to the Business Support Program. But what happened was, they had a telemarketing agency based in England that would make appointments for you in America. Well, I got all, the, I was getting these appointments and I was walking into these meetings to talk to small business owners about growing their business. And I couldn't believe how enthusiastic they were about taking the appointment. And I got in, I'm like, wow, these are some growth minded uh, business owners. They were laughing at me saying, I had to take the meeting with the with the moron who called up and said he wanted to sell a scheme. You're the scheme guy? And so um, <laughs> it was hilarious, but I, I realized, I walked in, I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And um, so I said, I just made fun of it. I said, yeah, you know, I said, look, it's, it's a UK-based organization. It's called the scheme. You know, I, I said, but, you know, it's I, we, in the script, we had to do this long paragraph of who we were, why we were there. And, you know, they had words like, we're going to chat and all, you know, more, much more British, British language really than funny. here. And so they got it and we had some fun with it. And I would say, yeah, you know, I'm here to steal. So uh, give me the key to the safe and, you know, open up your checkbook. And so we laughed it off. But what I learned was nobody was obviously saying what I was saying. And so they were so enamored by the differentiator that I had, the scheme guy chatting, Guy from England, based in Jersey. What's this all about? It was brilliant, brilliant. And I and like, so I like all your lucky accidents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it it got me uh, it got me my first few clients, which really in turn got me my confidence. Like now I'm like, you know what? I could play at this level. I'm uh, you know I've been I'm I was younger in age than almost everyone I was working with, but I had equal experience. And I was like, you know what? I mean, I, I, at first I was really nervous. Like I went to this training class. I read every inch of the manual because I'm like, I can't do this. You know, I'm a young guy. Most of, them, most of the uh, consultants were 50-ish. That was the average age. I'm 34 at this class. And, but after my first few appointments and I got my first few clients, I was like, I can do this as good as anybody. And my confidence really grew. And I was able, under the guise of business mentoring, I was doing coaching, you know? And, That's really um, cool. Yeah, the averaging. You could have done it way sooner. You know that, right? Well, now, probably I could have, but if you told me then that, I wouldn't like have believed you. I, I think a lot of people yeah. get stuck there. Do you see that also? People get stuck. I don't want to say it's the trap of education, but kind of, you know, feeling like I need more and more courses and more and more validity. If you are a successful entrepreneur and you learned the psychology and the personal development and you were out there making a difference, the only thing missing was the confidence. Right, right. It's, it's you know, that story about two people being chased by a bear you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the guy, the other guy. or the gal next to you. <laughs> exactly. And it's the same thing in consulting. I just, I literally need to be one step ahead of you. As long as I am and I can show you the path ahead, I can bring value. I don't have to know five miles ahead. Yeah, kudos if you can. But I got to tell you, if I'm 
when my son was getting ready to go to college, I didn't need somebody to tell me about what retirement home or assisted living facility he's going in. I didn't need to know the whole lifeline. I just need, help me get this kid into college. So anyone who could do it and do it well and, and give me good information on it, I was all ears. So I hear that. I yeah. totally hear that. Okay. So that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I get the journey. And then at some point you went from being an individual coach under the umbrella of these other programs, right? Yep. It, if I may see, be so bold to say, is like kind of hiding behind them or, or using them again to, to bolster that confidence. Um, and then you came out on your own and you got your own programs and your own training institutes. That's a big switch. Yeah. I, um, so in the IIB, this is a, a big breakthrough for me was uh, they started the, um, they started, they had a mentoring program in the US and now they start in the UK and then they started operations in the United States. And um, I had at this point done a lot of uh, consulting work uh, for other people who wanted coaching programs. So I worked with uh, Tony Robbins. I went to a seminar, but then he became, his company became a client. Uh, the Adizas organization, we worked with them, um, you know, and uh, countless other real estate investment companies, uh, outplacement firms. We showed them how to build coaching organizations because I had learned that just by being one of the coaches in an organization. And so I went to the IIB and I said, I can, I can run your mentoring program here in the States. Um, so I won that contract. And then um, our, I made a back of the napkin bet with the principal of the organization um, because you know we had these telemarketing agencies. And I said, I bet you my mentoring program, which I proposed being a phone-based program, could outperform the existing one that was in person. And the guy said, no way, you can't do that. Now remember, it's 2003, phone-based coaching just didn't exist except for- Yeah, it really for, wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, um, I'll make you a bet. I said, for one year, we'll compare the two programs. And uh, because the telemarketing agency would make 10 appointments for every new consultant, and uh, based on the number of closes, because you mentored them through the first 10, I said, whoever has the higher close rate gets the other person's uh, program. That was Ooh, my bet. Oh, that's a major bet. <laughs> yeah. So my, so here's what happened. So at the end of the year, their, their current success rate was one client out of 10, which was very good. Really good. At the end of our first year, I was, uh, never forget it, 3.71 clientele out of 10 appointments made. Wow. We were crushing it just crushing it. So the principal didn't like the fact that that was the case. Uh, so didn't allow me to put in a proposal for this other program. He told the UK person, copy his program. You do it here. I don't like hey, it. He had to give you his whole thing though. Right. He was supposed to, he was supposed to. Oh, so they, so he gave the other guy the program. It, it did not perform well at all. It, it really struggled. And then uh, the, a year later, they opened up the entire global marketplace. They were in almost 35 countries at the time uh, to one mentoring program. I put in a proposal. I won that proposal. So, so eventually I was doing all uh, of so it you, everywhere. You took them over. It's like, like took you, them over. You were the student. Like you're, you're the guy who like worked for the company and said, you know what? I just better on my own. You'll be my client. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. And that's the way it went. And, um, and then you owned their company. So you, you didn't have to build it from zero. You just kind of took it over and ran it better. Well, I did the mentoring side of it. They, there was still training and recruiting. Right. Um, uh, so there are other aspects of the business, but I ran the mentoring program and we had up to, at one point 80 mentors in 35 countries, and I think we we're mentoring in seven or eight native languages at the time, where English was not their first language. So it was pretty wild. Cool. It was a pretty wild ride while the company was in its heyday. I love it. Yeah. And now what do you do? Because I, I know there's even more stuff I'm missing. Where did you land now? Like, I know I read all the cool stuff in the bio, but like day to day, month to month, what's the current entity? So the current entity, we have a company called Seven Stage Advisors. And the seven stages is the methodology. Remember that milestones methodology? There was a graph with seven stages on it. And so I changed the name of the company to Seven Stage Advisors. And what we are is an advisor. We're known as a growth advisory firm. And we come into a company and we provide uh, uh, clients immediate bandwidth 
in the four major areas of their business. Strategy, business development, operations, and finance. And we're like a bolt-on C-suite, regardless of your size. Startup, under a million, over a million, 10 million, 20 million, 100 million, doesn't matter. Um, you'll use us in the, in, the, in the mix and proportion that's, that's appropriate for your company. And our job is to, you know, we're, we're lifelong coaches, but every one of our coaches and advisors is a former executive, current or former entrepreneur. And the way our method works is that you had to have bought, run, sold, managed, or advised a business bigger than the one that your client is trying to build. So we're always a step ahead. That's our That's idea. That's very cool. I like right. that idea. That's a very... Yeah. Really, really good rule. I mean, that that's an academic rule, right? You can only teach a degree a level lower than the one you've earned. Oh, there you go. Right on. That, that's the so, rule in academia. You, you can't yeah. teach a master's program if you don't have a PhD. You can't teach a bachelor's program if you don't have a master's. Like, you have to always have a degree above the level that you're teaching. Perfect. Perfect idea. So, um, uh, perfect correlation, I should say. And um, so, and so that's how we go about it. And, um, we are uh, a group of business advisors and, you know, who have kind of won our business battles and now we want to give back. Um, we, I just made a business out of that. And so we can bring really some heavy hitter um, talent to the small to mid market. So we have, uh, and we are generalists, which is a specialty in and of itself, meaning we, uh, most people think of a generalist as just, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But the reality is, is that a generalist is the hardest thing to be because you have to be good at multiple areas of a business. So our specialty is that we take innovative strategies from other sectors and we bring them into your sector um, to be game changing disruptions for your business. So, Sounds like a lot of that, what I do. Like I always say to people, yeah. someone recently quoted me on LinkedIn. Like, I think Esty Rand says she's like, jack of all trades, master of all. I'm like, no, no, that was close. <laughs> that was a slight close. I say, jack of all trades, master of some. <laughs> master of some, there you go. Master right. of some. And I think that really is the best way to be a generalist. You're not going to be a master of all, right? But, but being a master of, of some and, and having that breadth and that you bring to the table, that's totally what's, what's propelled my company. Um, right. So and imagine so different than most of what's out there. That, that's why I love it. And right. I, I like that, that frame on it because it really is the hardest thing to find. Yeah. You're, um, there was a great article written about the innovations of the 20th century. And the article said that 82% of all the innovations of the 20th century came from the front lines of another industry. So meaning where one industry took it to another. Correct. So the, the classic story of how drive-through banking started was, I think it was back in the 80, late 80s, um, a banking executive had as part of their strategic plan, how do we provide more office hours and without increasing our expenses? And one of the banking executives gets a call from his wife and she says, listen, I'm, I'm going to be late getting home from work. Can you pick up dinner on the way home? He's driving home. He goes to a McDonald's. And he goes through the drive-through window and he says, huh, I wonder if we could do this for banking. And so it was a restaurant that changed the banking world. Apple, a computer company, changed the way music is recorded, shared, distributed. consumed, totally. distributed, totally. Okay. That's um, so interesting to think about. I, I like that a lot. I, I never thought I'd do that also. A lot of my best ideas for my clients are coming from from a different industry. Like, oh, you're in yeah. design. You know what? This guy in construction does something. You should totally try it. Exactly. And it really, it really does work that way. And, and if you look, actually, the hallmarks of the most viral content is actually a blend of other viral content. When you look at yeah. what goes the most, it's they've taken X from one place, Y from another place, Z from a third place, put it together, and boom, it hits every note. Yeah, Madonna, in the early days of MTV and video, Madonna took the club dances, put them on music videos, and they became, they, they became the video crazes, you know? And, um, and, and so there's, there's example after example after example where somebody took an idea from one industry, put it in another, and that industry doesn't think that way. So they're like, wow, look at this thing. And before you know it, it's, it's the latest craze, you know? I like that a lot. And I think that's so helpful for people because everyone thinks they've got to reinvent the wheel. 
I always right. say, you don't try harder, try different. But try different mm. doesn't mean start from zero. Right. Look at what else is being done. Maybe not in your industry. Maybe in a different one. Maybe in a different place, different size, different something. Yeah, I ask this a lot in my keynotes um, of the audience. I'll say to them, how often... Now, I know you probably do because your work, and just like I do, because my work, our work um, dictates it, but for most, it doesn't. And I ask them, how many um, industry events do you go to on a regular basis that are outside your industry? How many conferences, annual conventions? And most people are like, hmm. None. No, I'm in insurance. I go to insurance. I'm in Dental, I go to dental. I'm an accountant, I go to, right? But we do, because our clients in so many different industries, um, most people, I've got a concrete client, he just goes to the concrete and paving shows. Why would I go to anything else? Um, but we, I tell people you should go to the other ones because the problems in your industry, there's other industries that don't even have a word for it because that problem doesn't even exist. Doesn't even exist, you know? And, um, and so, you know, they have solutions for it. So if you go to those other, if you go to those other um, industry events, you'll find the solutions right there. Like I remember when, um, when I was building log homes, the log home structure is a wide open plan. It's a totally open. It's got very few walls, like just for the bathrooms and the bedrooms, pretty much that's it. Upstairs has a loft, right? And I remember, cause I was a home builder and I'm, and for years I'm building these wide open plan buildings for log buildings. And then there's this new development with a wide open plan. I remember walking <laughs> in it and I'm like, office space, totally. <laughs> guys, this is a log home minus the logs. And they're like, huh? I said, yeah, you remember that brochure I showed you? I said, yeah, somebody read that now open plan. You know, it's been around forever. It, but you got to go to that conference across the hall because they've been talking about it forever. And you guys, you know, now all of a sudden pulling the walls down is a smart way to go. It's been around for a while. You just got to pull it out from another, another sector, you know? I think that's so cool. And I think it speaks so much to, you know, a lot of people, they try to stay in their silos. Like I always say, you know, a lot of small business try to try to build off the corporate model. Either they came from there or they made the gross mistake, in my opinion, of hiring a corporate level advisor for a tiny business and they silo things. Right? Yeah. which is the only way you can do something at a really grand scale. And it's the worst thing you could do in a tiny business because yeah. then no one talks to each other and no one knows what's going on. And marketing will learn really well from finance, will learn really well from sales, will learn really well from operations, not just what's going on in the business, but how to help each other solve each other's problems. Right. Yeah, siloing, yeah, it'll give you a floor. It'll give you some structure and it'll get you to a certain level. But this, with a floor comes a ceiling. And, yeah, and it will, sure. it, it, it absolutely caps where you can go. So yeah. It caps I, I, in the seven figures, totally. But yeah. when you're trying to hit six figures, you can't build it like a nine figure company. Right. Yeah. Right on. Right on. It's got to so be I, I know where it caps. I, I definitely get that. I, I've seen in my clients, we can hit like up to eight figures like that. Past right. that, you do have to silo it. But I've seen so many micro businesses who are just trying to hit six figures or multi six figures do it like that and profit. And I'm like, this is what's eating your profits. That's yeah. what you're not getting there. They're going way too early. In our model, we don't systematize a business till the fourth stage out of seven for that very reason, because you'll, you'll squelch all the creativity in the company. It's too totally. early, you know, so. Totally makes sense. So at the stage you're at now, which is, you know, quite advanced, can you share with us a current struggle in the business? <sighs> Sure. Well, this is, this is great. I'm, I'm so glad we have our therapy session too, because I've got, <laughs> I've got three and you can, you can help me with each of the three. Awesome. So yeah, it, it's, um, it's the, I think the pod, the podcast, um, industry specifically has, um, been an indirect benefit to me only because, um, you know, I got into coaching really early. I was one of the early guys in coaching. And, um, now that the coaching industry has matured, you know, I, I, you know, that's helped me in my pursuit of building my personal brand, but in seven stage advisors, it, um, it has, you know, again, with every good thing comes a challenge. So one of the things I'm really working through right now is how to build a lead generation funnel that's beyond me. Right. Um, and it's, uh, so we, you know, we, our business is, has, is growing, has been growing. It's doing very nicely. But it's, um, I, I think that it, it's getting limiting 
because I can only do so many personal appearances and I can scale it and be in front of a certain amount of audiences and all that. But there is a, there is a limit to it. And, and now I'm starting to think as much legacy as I'm thinking currency. I like and that so, phrase. Yeah. So I want the seven stages to live well beyond me. And, um, you know, Dale Carnegie, you know, that company is based on the principles of Carnegie, not just Dale, you know, and so I want the same. And so I want to get beyond me from a lead gen perspective um, and others, others using the message and the model. So that's one of the, that's one of the things that we're working on right now. Um, and uh, one of our answers, and we're going to find out how well that it happens is we are in our model of delivery of our services, every client, Every employee of every client gets coaching, mentoring, training on a regular basis, no matter what, no matter how big the company, whatever. And we have group trainings and all this. And so, and so the, um, we are moving from, we are adding on, I should say, just in client office training to training summits at our, at our facility. And, and I know it's got, you know, we're going to make people travel. You're going to have to come. Yes, yes, you, SD, are coming to New Jersey. Yes, you are. And you'll All love right. it. You will. All you right. will. You'll love it. And, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, we're going to bring people out a couple times a year. All of our clients get to come for free. Um, we're also going to have other, there's other companies that want to engage with us, but not not in the, not in the full whole enchilada level, but in the training level. So we're, we're, um, we're adopt we're we're adopting that event model, um, and, you know, as one of our answers. So so those are the two challenges that I have going on uh, right now. The kind of the third one is we are digitizing our uh, delivery model, and um, I while I would have called that more of a challenge before, I see more and more how it's being asked for. So I'm not as concerned about that, but um, but we. Um, the big thing on my mind right now is delivery, uh, overall delivery, so it's sustainable, and lead gen, but really it's legacy that's on my mind. I totally hear that. Yeah. Where's the quality control? Because that's always the biggest concern when you scale, right? When you're small, when it's just mm. you, you are quality control. That's easy. When yeah. you have you know, as many fingers and toes as employees, also not a super big deal. You know, and it's as you yeah. say, who have more people on staff or, or who are going out there with a piece of your reputation, that's where it starts right. to get really iffy. Um, what's, what are the quality control elements in place for the digitized delivery, for the extended training, for all of that? Is there stuff in place for that? Yeah, so it, it all revolves around our model. And, um, you know, the model has been... I wrote it in the 90s. It's, you know, it's very tried and true. We occupy a very specific niche in the market and we have very little competition um, there. So the, the coaches and the advisors that are practitioners of our model, there's, it, it's, it's so hard. It would be so hard for them to sustain it on their own. And it's such a team concept that it lends itself to a certain amount of loyalty and control. Um, but how do you so, know that but, they're delivering it properly when you're not the one overseeing okay. them anymore? How do you know? Because this is where, our, you know, in my opinion, where legacy comes in. Dale Carnegie is Dale Carnegie. The stuff is so clear that when you say it, you know it. You know, I said to a client the other day, he's having me this whole issue and this whole problem, concerned about aging out of the market. And I just took one look at him. I'm like, you know, this isn't, you just have an issue with dealing with uncertainty, right? Like you just need a high level certainty. He's like, Tony Robbins. <laughs> certainty right. and variety, you know, and, yeah. and people have these codifications where it's just, and I didn't even learn it through Tony. Um, I actually learned it through one of Tony's trainers who has his whole methodology, um, quoting it and, but, but it's a Tony thing and everybody sure. knows. It. And when yep. I say to somebody, you know, a name is the most important sound to any one person in any language, you say to me, Dale Carnegie, done. When I right. say to you sharpen the saw, you say to me, Kobe. Right. And they've codified this to the point that even if someone's not officially trained by them, it's theirs. Right, right, and, right, right. And I, I have not been inside these organizations. Like I, I look at people like you and I like, like almost like drip envy, but like in a way of like, not me instead of you, me also. Like I've always wanted to do these trades. I've always just been like, you know, reading the books and then creating my own stuff. Um, but like right. I've never been inside them, but I would venture a guess 
based on my knowledge, the only way they've gotten there is because there's quality control at every level, making sure that as the teachings go down, A, they're so simple, visual, anchored, linguistically simplified, yeah. that they can't be messed up even by the readers and that anyone teaching them is not only rigorously trained and tested, but constantly, you know, as they say on the phone, this call may be monitored or recorded for quality right, sure. purposes. For quality purposes. <laughs> and that has to be in place or you can't, you can't build legacy because it has to be so much bigger than you. It has to be so simplified, yeah. so much that, you know, someone hears it like, oh, that's Carl. That's Carl. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm known for something called the obnoxious offer. Okay, I like so that. We, Again, so you we, can anchor that. You right. can feel that. You, you can feel can it. picture it. You see the guy saying it. That's awesome. Yeah, and we've got a number of other isms that we use throughout our process. And our process, you know, it's uh, we are the seven-stage advisors. Our growth methodology is a seven-stage growth cycle. So there's visuals and we've got, uh, there's visuals, we've got our, um, our isms, we've got our acronyms, we've got our language and all of that intellectual property um, that we use with, with uh, our clients and, and throughout all of our advisors. So we try to instill the entire language and operating system in the client culture as we go. And that has to start with the advisors. So you're absolutely right. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. But here's the fun thing. You already have the answer to all your questions. I'll show you where it is. Based on everything you've told me, your background's not in marketing. My, my, my superpower is marketing. Yeah, so it's marketing and sales. Gotcha. Um, your background is not there um, as, as much based on what you're telling me. You take the exact same skill set, strategies, structures, systems, consistency, and you build your marketing sales machine the exact same way. Mm. Right? We even had a guy on the show a couple of weeks ago, right? He literally wrote the program on high ticket sales. I'll connect you. We're friends. Right. Um, cool. And all you have to do is the same machine you built operationally, you can build that same machine in marketing. It's the same right, thing. Right marketing on. changes and digital is different. Everything's different. But the value proposition is at the core right? The audience connects. Like when I teach marketing, I have a whole um, graphic organizer also. That's like my thing. Um, it's called the marketing flower and the seed is the core. It's that light. It's that essential right. value offer, right? And then the target is the center of the flower. The stem that connects them is the 2 a.m. problem. I would say some people, you only solve a 2 p.m. problem. That's why no one really wants to pay you very much. You know, we pay more the later it gets in the day. <laughs> I like that. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. And so that, that foundation, that's the foundation of all your marketing. And again, all your rules, yes, the nuances of how you get out there and the vehicles and the mediums, eh, fine, right? Marketing is the medium and the message, but it's still, that's just the outside, yeah? So, right. and, and the sales machine, the sales process, the same way, you know, your boss had a thing. This is how a proposal looks. This is what you do. You go to the guy, you say it like this. You have this, you don't even realize. Right, you haven't right, codified right. it yet. It's there. Yeah. All yeah. you gotta do is codify it the same way, use the same exact skill. I always tell everyone, work from your place of strength. You've got this. Right. Your lead funnel that's beyond you is your lead funnel that is you. Right. Sure. Right on. Right on. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's already there. I love unbearing things that are already there. It makes my life so easy. <laughs> cool. Very intuitive. Right on. The same thing, by the way. Yeah. Once you've run a couple, they become a thing, right? Yeah. Same way Tony just shows up to his stuff, if at this point. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I know. He's got, yeah. Exactly. Health challenges right now, for sure. Yeah. So it, it is. It is a thing, but it's that same, and that's why I asked you first if you'd had all that quality control in place. If you hadn't, I couldn't have given you the solution, but you do, which means you know how to do this on your own. No one even has to teach yeah. it to you. Someone's just got to show you the nuances in marketing and sales where that comes to play. Exactly. And then Pick it up and move it over. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you're so set. And the whole thing with the digitizing the delivery, that you do want to, it gets tweaked because you lose things in translation from you yeah. to digital. But as long as you're dealing with the experts and as long as you're, you're building as you go, the one thing I would say to you there, and I talked to another guest about this recently, just don't build the product first. I know it's counterintuitive, <laughs> don't, right. but don't do it. Don't do it. Even though you already have it as a human delivery model, the digital delivery is different. Um, I know this from my own online program. Um, we built our online program, Marketing Magic, which is where you never waste money on marketing again promise that I, that I stand behind and I delivered it. Um, it's built on our one-on-one -on -one strategies with our clients. But when I turned it into a digital product, I suddenly realized, hey, 
there was a whole bunch of SD in there. <laughs> you know, that's like that one-on-one -on -one piece. And there's also a bunch of stuff that it's very different when you do it interactive, even with my other strategists, that when you turn it into online, we have to codify it much more, right? Seeing the confusion from people where they have more questions, where they struggle more. So the process even shifts a little bit. Like the process right. with one-on-one -on -one clients, we're, we're shifting the online program slightly, which again is no big deal because I never went to a professional studio, did 600 hours of video, paid $100,000 to make it. We just, we did it with the people and, right. and we added all the interaction so that they get all the benefit and we're learning from them all of the tweaks. And so deliver and build. Yeah. So I love that. And deliver. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. That was, that was my five minute fix. Love it. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Because our, our goal with digitizing is we want to we, we want to create an AI robo coach that based on our algorithm will then make certain recommendations based on our methodology, you know. But we cool. have to add we have to add in the one to one human factor. We have to mm -hmm. factor that one in for sure. That sounds so. Is AI ready to do that yet? Can it not fully, that? not, not fully, but it, it's getting there. It's, it's the if then, if, if all of these conditions exist, then what would the methodology say? And then the AI would say, well, how, how well did that work? And what's the highest probability shot? And so AI, as it expands, will, will get better, but we're gonna give it our shot now with our if then scenarios. Um, and that's where, and that, cause that's how you would, that's how you advise. If but you you're tell not me giving this, it to the client, you're giving it to your coaches. Well, the, the client gives us the numbers and the scenario. The coach plugs it into the AI. Plug, coach plugs it into the AI. It comes up with some options. Coach then, at this point, coach still has to use their experience and, okay, say, has experience and say, okay, here's, here are the options and, and do I agree with them? And let's assume for a second we do, which of the, of the options are the best. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like I still remember in university, our senior year, um, like our business honors class, they gave us this whole simulation, run your own China company. I don't know if they had this like back in your days, but it was this whole simulated thing. We stunk. We yeah. <laughs> if I used that as an indication of my success in entrepreneurship, I would have been in really big trouble. Um, but even back then, th these simulated models, um, they do work to a point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, look, you're, you, the biggest question we get from our clients is because um, a lot of our clients are using some form of management system, you know, uh, planning out your 90 day plan. I mean, there's there's you know, all sorts of these that are out there. The biggest question we get and almost all of our clients are on them. Their biggest question is now what? OK, I've, I've got a whole bunch of data. I've got analytics. I've got, you know, predictive analytics here. I've got my dashboard. Now what? Well, that's what BI. What's that? Well, that's BI, business intelligence, where right. you actually but, turn all that gunk into information. Right, exactly. And, 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 you know, at that point, there's logic, and then the emotion comes in, and, you know, most, most coaches... Ah, so your thing can sit on top of their system. It could sit either, ooh, you should partner yeah. with a BI company. That would be way fun. Yeah. Because your thing will dovetail amazingly with some of the latest BI software. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. There, there, there I go putting together industries, which is what I do. Um, because what the BI software does is it, it turns the, the data gunk. Um, I was a CIO for six and a half years. I'm, I'm a total data and, and tech geek. Uh, oh, wow, wow, wow. Cool. Yeah. So what, what the latest software, not even the latest, BI in general, what is it meant to do? It's meant to turn the data gunk into information. What do you then do with the information? Exactly. That's where your system comes in on top of the BI, but you are likely to need BI level information for in your order to do it really well. Yeah, your right. system is likely to, to choke on the gunk. It could, yeah. It, the, and and our, the way we roll it out, our plan is, is we're gonna roll it out as just a consulting tool for how we're using it with our coaches. And that's where we're going to deliver it and then build it later, like, as you said. Yeah. Um, and that's the how we're going to revolution this. Find, find some BI companies. There's, there's big ones, there's little ones, because yeah. not only are they going to supercharge your tool, but they are the ones who already have the paying clients who need your tool. Right. Exactly. It's another foot in the door. Yeah. 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 It's a, it'd be a great reciprocal too. relationship. Bonus. Yeah. Another sales funnel for you. 
There you go. <laughs> well, we have so much fun. Okay, we could do this forever. Um, I wish we weren't out of time. I know my listeners are like, keep going. Sorry, guys. We'll have to have Carl back another time. Um, so, Carl, where can everybody find you, find out more about Seven Stage Advisors, get in touch? Sure. Well, carlgould.com is the gateway for all the things we do. Um, I, I, I have a gift for all of your listeners that would like to take us up on it. If you go to carlgould.com, uh, the contact us section of the site, um, we will give you a free business analysis. That is our, uh, our, our uh, give back to the entrepreneurial community. We do a few hundred of them a year. Um, you could sit with up to two hours with the growth advisor and we have a very specific process we take you through that will culminate in five growth, you know, suggestions for growth for your business. So if you'd like to take us up on it, carlgould.com, contact us and just write business analysis in the, uh, in the subject line. And we'll make sure that you spend some time with a business and business analyst, one of our growth advisors. Um, I'm pretty easy to find on social media and on, on, uh, on the internet. So carlgould.com and I'm at carlgould pretty much everywhere. So I love that. Okay, guys, we're going to put not only that link, but we'll also put in the show notes that that's what you should type lest you forget. Cause if I were you, I would definitely take, Carl take us up on this it. offer. Take oh, us yeah. up on it. Yeah. I'll take you up on this offer. No guys, you should definitely, definitely do this. Um, awesome. So Carl, I actually like to surprise my guests at the very end and ask for a quote. Does not have to be your favorite one of all time, but it can be. But I always love these like pithy little wisdoms to send everyone on their way. Uh, your playing small does not serve the world. Ooh. Marianne Williamson. Uh, Nelson Mandela quoted that. Um, and so he's widely credited with it, but it, it is a Marianne uh, Williamson quote from A Course in Miracles. That's cool. I never even heard of her, but now I am totally looking She's her up. She's, ironically enough, she's running for president. What? Yeah, she's, she's a presidential, I think she's still in the race, but she's, she's a presidential candidate. So if you look no. up Marianne Williamson, they talk about her as the personal development inspirational author. That's her. So that's interesting. And this is what I get for not keeping up on politics whatsoever. I don't even know who's running for president right now. Yeah. You know what? It's not going to matter for a while yeah, anyway. A Let them. Many of them right now. It feels a little circus yeah. to me at this point. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more people running for president than not right now. So just yeah, that's let, them, what it feels like. let them fight it out. And, and when, when they get serious, then you can jump in. Yeah, my husband was playing the, the original, the Democratic, um, what's it called? The, the first speeches last um, couple of weeks ago, whenever it was. Um, and it was more of like background entertainment than anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, really, we're going to spend $10 billion on something. Yeah. Like it was like, right. What? It's all the same. It's look, it's, you know, screw the rich, build the middle class, better health care, equal rights, better, you know, better schools and infrastructure. Vote for me. I mean, yeah, they're all much. saying the same thing, but it's they'll get serious at some point and then we'll find out what they're really like and they'll they'll weed themselves out. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they always do. All right. Oh, yeah. This was amazing. Yeah, this is fun. This was so fun. Thank you, guys, for all of you listening. I know you know somebody who needs to hear this who might not be subscribed yet. So here's what I want you to do, as you know, because this is what we've been saying for a few episodes. I want you to figure out who needs this, who needs Carl's free business analysis, right? Who needs to hear about what it means to actually make it as a coach, to transition, how to build a business, basically just from a place of, of interest, yeah? You don't have to have any specific training. You just, you go. You do it and or, and this is what I think is a clincher of who you want to find to, to give this to, you don't have to even market and sell yourself so much, right? That's kind of what I feel like you gave me a lot of like, you went in, you built this whole thing in the early days. Everyone was selling you, if you will, you know, right. and you were selling other people's programs and that's, that's okay too. And that's okay to start there. It is a great, I've, I've in almost every business I've ever launched, I started out by being the certified whatever of somebody else's product. And that was how I built my reputation. I earned my way to my earned money as well as earned my way, you know, profitably to building a brand. And then you'll know the time that's when you can cut the umbilical cord and go out on your own. But it is, uh, I found that's one of the quickest ways to do it. 
is to align with an existing IP and then create your own later. Love it. Yeah, for just me. for the uninitiated IP, intellectual property, guys. Yeah, so thank, um, you. thank you. Yeah, no problem. So sometimes we have the uninitiated on here, uh, but they become initiated very quickly as we teach them. Yes, they do. So yes, guys, do. somebody who needs to launch, they need to learn how to launch under someone else's IP, intellectual property, or that they've been doing that and it's time for them to cut the cord and see what it looks like bigger. Share this episode sdran.com slash 71 all the show notes the episode or they can just search it on itunes stitcher spotify google play you know the drill and we will catch you next week carl thank you thanks for having me this was a blast you've been listening to the business breakthrough podcast with sd rand if you're looking for a breakthrough in your business reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?